experts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. As the man said, I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. Glad you could tune in today because we got some catching up to do. Skipped last week's show because of the elections and it should have been a terrible week for the stock market. At the close of trading on Friday, we still didn't know whether Joe Biden or Donald Trump had won or which party was going to control the Senate. There's was also set to be at least two recounts, one in Georgia, one in Michigan, with likely more to come. It It's really that kind of uncertainty that the market is supposed to hate. But instead, stocks embrace the unknown. The Dow, well, it was up nearly 2,000 points, almost 7%. The NASDAQ was up 9%. The S&P was up over 7%. All in all, it was the best election week since 1932. And the VIX, you know, that fear gauge I've been talking about, the VIX dropped about 35%. It was the largest weekly fall since the last presidential election and the fourth largest decline on record. Market's fear index showed no fear. And the consensus quickly became that a divided government, it'd be good for stocks. Without Democratic control of the Senate, something that may not be determined until January if both of the Georgia Senate races go to a runoff, which seems likely to me. But if the Democrats don't control the Senate, well, there won't be any tax hikes and there won't be a new Green Deal. Of course, changes are going to be made, but they're most likely be at the margins. All that was even before we woke up Monday morning to see the market raring to go on the news that Pfizer's virus drug looked extremely promising. We went from doom and gloom a couple of weeks ago to kaboom straight to the moon. If you've been listening over the last month or two, I've been laying out my thoughts on the future of the markets. To summarize it in four words, a new bull market. I know, crazy, right? If you're new to the show or you want to catch up, you can go back and listen to those episodes. I thought that the market was going to drift lower going into the elections. We were facing a lot of uncertainty, but once we got past that, I thought things looked pretty good. And what do I mean by a new bull market? In terms of equity returns or stock market returns, I don't think it's all that far-fetched to think that the market will double in the next seven years, maybe even sooner, maybe five, who knows? If the market goes up on average 10% a year, it'll double in seven years. That's the rule of 72. So what I'm saying is I don't think it's too, too crazy to think that the market could average slightly higher than 10% a year for the next few years. We're only going to know after the fact, of course, but I don't think it's unreasonable. And that's because the Fed, which is our central bank, has come out and said they're going to the sidelines and they're going to stand there for a while. They told us that they're willing to accept some inflation, which said another way, well, we're not touching interest rates for a long time. 
low interest rates mixed with all the fiscal and monetary stimulus, well, that makes for a pretty potent cocktail. The last time this happened was after the great financial crisis, and it took the Fed seven years to lift Fed funds rate from zero. And when they eventually did, well, the market judged it to be premature, and then they had to go on hold for another year. And I don't have to tell you that those 10 years were pretty darn good for stocks. If you think about that, and history repeats itself, rates could be close to zero until 2028. If that's the case, then bonds probably won't do so well. And even if the Fed has to raise interest rates because the economy is getting overheated, I'm guessing that they're going to be behind the curve in doing it. And that doesn't mean smooth sailing. Even when we had low rates and easy money policies, the market still corrected on occasion. Remember, it fell almost 20% in the fall of 2011. So I'm not saying we're going straight up to the moon. No, I think we're in this era of volatility. We're going to have a, a lot of sizable corrections ahead of us. But I do believe that the path of least resistance is going to be higher over the next several years. I also think that the next leg up isn't going to look like the last one. The last one was mainly a handful of the mega cap tech stocks. Those handful of stocks did all the heavy lifting with everyone else getting left behind. I think that changes. I think it has changed, which is a perfect segue to me saying that I've started working on my annual outlook. And this year, I'll be presenting it over Zoom. No surprise there, right? It'll be the second week of January. I think it's January 12th. We'll start getting the details out to you in the next couple of weeks. So keep your eyes open. If you're not on our list for it and you want to be, well, just drop us a line at podcast, which is plural, podcast at xmlfg.com. So, It's the outlook for 2021 and beyond. Call it navigating the path forward. It'll be about an hour long. In the first half, I'll cover the big picture. What happened over the last year, where we are now, where I think we're going in the future. And then the second half, I'll be talking about my best individual ideas for the coming year, mostly stocks. And then depending on the time, I'll try and take some questions. Again, if you're interested you can just drop us a line at podcast at xmlfg.com until we get the registration page up. You know, people have been so caught up with the elections and coronavirus. I think there's a lot of fatigue out there. Well, we've been so caught up that I think a lot of folks have missed news on the earnings front. So let me spend a, a few minutes there. And one that I've talked about before, it's Berkshire Hathaway. And I buy the B share, so it's BRKB is the symbol. And that's Warren Buffett's company. Warren Buffett's company announced over the past weekend that uh, their earnings, operating earnings, well, they came up short of the analyst estimates. And I tell you, that wasn't a big concern, at least for me. If you're familiar with Berkshire, you know that a big part of their business is insurance. And with insurance, Some years you'll make good money and some years you'll, well, you'll have to pay out claims. Just think hurricanes and COVID. Berkshire had an insurance underwriting uh, underwriting loss 
of $213 million for the quarter versus a $440 million gain a year ago. The only major business segments to see a year-over-year increase in operating earnings were the railroads, uh, the utilities, and the energy businesses. But the big news was that they bought back a bunch of their stock in the quarter. And by a bunch, I mean about $9 billion worth, which brings the total so far this year to about $16 billion in repurchases. That's huge. That's a huge number for them. The way I like to value Berkshire is on book value, not a, not on earnings per share. And I'll talk about this during the annual outlook. But my estimate of book value for Berkshire is around $180 a share. Typically, a good place to buy them has been around 1.2 times book. For some perspective, according to Morningstar, during the past 10 years, Berkshire share have traded at about an average of 1.4 times book. So with my book value guess being around $180 share and you're paying 1.2 times, that would mean that I think it's a buy under $220. And for those of you who have listened to me over the last 20 years, this probably isn't a big surprise. I own the stock. Most of my clients own the stock. But what has changed is the proportion of stock that I want to own and my perceived outcome for the stock. First, the proportion. In a nutshell, I want to own less of it than I have in years past. Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, well, they're getting up there in their years. And eventually, there'll be a transition. So there is risk there. Not one that I'm really overly concerned with, but there is additional risk than there has been in the past. I also don't think that their forward returns are going to be as great as they have been over the last 50 years. And that's just a function of size. Berkshire has gotten really big and they aren't able to make the investments like the ones they used to, you know, the ones that could really move the needle. I would be very surprised if they grew more than, say, 10% a year on average, of course, 10% a year going forward. But I'd also be very surprised if they grew less than 6 or 7% a year on average. So I think the range of outcomes are narrower here. But what's wrong with that? Having a great company like Berkshire in your portfolio growing at 7% a year, I think things could be worse. Now, with every stock I talk about, assume I own it, I do. And you have to do your own research and make sure it's right for you. Don't take my word for it. Okay, let's leave it there for now. I'll be back next week. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. I'm Eric Whiteman, and this has been Common Sense Investing. Opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the hosts and may not necessarily be those of XML Financial Group. 
Information provided should not be construed as personalized investment advice or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or engage in a particular investment strategy. You should consult your personal financial advisor before investing to make sure an investment is appropriate for your situation. Furthermore, this information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor. Investing strategies such as asset allocation, diversification, or rebalancing do not assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses. There are no guarantees that a portfolio employing these or any other strategy will outperform a portfolio that does not engage in such strategies. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.